0: check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Luke works for the Urban League, a organization that provides civil rights and urban advocacy across the United States. Through his work, he has seen the disparities created by this pandemic and speaks out in this episode about the needs of minorities and disadvantaged groups.
1: My wife's a uh, physician's assistant in healthcare, care, um, and she works in the emergency department. And we started talking about it middle of February, I want to say, um, when it was largely kind of still overseas, um, China. And I remember very distinctly a discussion like, yeah, that's going to hit the US um, at some point in time. Um, and I remember saying something like, you know, based on thinking about whether it was Ebola or the the bird flu, you know, we're, we have six to nine months before it's gonna gonna really start hitting here. Little do we know, we had less than thirty days. Well, I come from a medical family. My dad's a physician. Obviously, my wife's a PA. Viruses aren't something that you mess around with in my family. So we knew it was serious um, from the get go. I think my perspective on it was kind of how we kind of had looked at other viruses or or other things that we would apply a very scientific lens to how we deal with it and how we treat it, Um, never imagining that it'd be one of the greatest country by country social experiments that we've ever seen that's I mean that's what it felt like to me of like this country's trying this strategy and this I'm like where's science where's logic here um this isn't open for debate whether or not this is deadly this is deadly and it affects a lot of people and um so yeah my view of the virus it was always terrifying it was just I took it the next step and looked at human behavior we can work, we have to wear masks, or it's recommended that we wear masks, I think. Um, no large groups um, for the most part. you know, at my place of work, we have to wear a mask. When we're out and about, we don't have to wear masks if we're in our office um, or if we're socially distanced. Um, but it's still very much limiting, you know our programming, which typically is groups of twelve to fourteen people. Our class sizes are now six to eight. Um, So we're seeing those implications as well. Oh man, it turned it upside down. I mean, the first couple months, you know, being in charge of a organization that had 16 or 17 staff members, um, you know, it was very much, it was all consuming for me. I remember early on, it was literally Zoom calls all day, every day, making sure that our team was cared for and then barely quickly switched into how we were caring for the community. My kids, I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 5-year-old. So two were in school when schools got shut down. Um, So navigating with them, um, it was interesting. I want to say that the time and space for us, with the privilege that we had, both my wife and I were able to keep our jobs. There was a lot of good that came from our family all being together and just saying, it's just us for a while. There was a lot of healing that happened. On work side of things, it's been a completely different story. Changed the way we did programming. You know, we work with marginalized and underrepresented populations who don't have access to technology, who don't have access to resources. Um, So we had to pivot large pieces of the organization to be able to serve and connect and support, and then my organization went through a complete reorganization in order to preserve jobs for team members. I got into a lot of arguments with, with family members uh, early on because this virus has, to me, highlighted the, the racial inequalities in this country. Um, you know, obviously, a virus is not going to be have racist tendencies, but a virus is going to attack the weakest and those with the, the most comorbidities, those with the most vulnerabilities. And so, what we saw is just huge differences in experiences. Um, I have colleagues, uh, white colleagues, that still don't know anybody personally that's died. I have colleagues that have lost five extended family members. I have colleagues that have lost, I think upwards of 20 extended family members. And those colleagues are colleagues of color that have different experiences and they've had different experiences in this country. And so um, we've kind of jokingly called it COVID clarity, but systems of oppression that were able to be kept hidden, COVID highlighted, and we're seeing that and we're also seeing where privilege plays in the, a role and where survive, survivability plays a role. Um, we work in one of the, our offices is based in the Edison neighborhood in Kalamazoo. And a lot of ways life was largely unchanged during COVID. Um, people had, you know, whether there's a deadly virus out there or not, people are, were so used to living in crisis with a lot of threats against them, that this was just another on the list and that they had to just keep moving forward. So it was a really interesting difference to see, you know, friends that were holed up and not seeing anybody and completely locked down versus some of our more marginalized communities. A, they had to work, um, and or B, when they did their risk assessment, there was other things that were a greater risk than this virus. Well, I mean, technology's been huge. I mean, it's in my position where the vast majority of my job is either writing or sending emails or or meeting with people to move projects along. It just flawlessly almost transitioned into, you know, this virtual age that we're in right now. We're meeting via Zoom um, and we could be anywhere in the country, really. That's not true um, in the neighborhoods. Again, it was one of those things where my thoughts around technology in this is technology and connectivity is is getting real close to becoming a basic human right. It's a necessity. Um, We saw families, four or five people, and they had one old smartphone that was their only connectivity. Kids were parents were using it for job search or work, kids were using it to try to get a, uh, school work done. Um, so it, it either, you either had it um, and you had a job that could help transition to it or or you didn't, I didn't see a lot of, I didn't see a lot of in between. You know, we had kid in the neighborhood, um, it was determined that he was too angry of a kid so the school didn't provide a computer for him to learn because they were worried he was gonna break it. So there's a kid that's in fourth grade who, they didn't even try, you know? So you have like, on that on one end, and on the other end, you have people that are like, I just talked to somebody today and they're like, my whole life is rearranged and it's way better. That I can stay home, I can do all my work from home, I can get everything done, I can meet all my requirements, all of them, and I don't have to leave my house um, so you just have it's very polarizing on on which side and it's it has the possibility depending on how we handle it to really further drive this divide um, in our country between the haves and the have-nots. I don't see a, a challenge as something that's going to block my way it's more of an opportunity to um adjust how I see the world or or grow a new skill or it's it's a challenge is you know it's a mountain to be climbed it's not something that's over and what I think I saw and I don't think it would have happened without this pandemic is a lot of those challenges aren't just to conquer but they're invitations for us to shift how we see the world and I think for me personally COVID Slowed me down in some ways and showed me what I'm not, and showed me uh, areas that I could really, I could really work to improve, and that, you know, our society rewards greatly these these pushers, these people that go out and just get stuff done, and collateral damage be damned, and go forward, and. I think the COVID reality has invited us into is this more, that's all fine and dandy, but what about the people? What about their families? How do they play into it? And that it's not just getting the work done that matters anymore, it's how we do the work, how we see people matters, how we see and understand their point of view to me is, is something that as a country, we've just, we've missed and I've missed um, as a human being. So I would say that the amount of growth and understanding of me and how I see the world that's been impacted is equivalent to, you know, a master's in surviving a pandemic. Now, this is, this is a larger invitation by the universe to think about your priorities and what really matters. Um, And for me, it was not only just what you do, it's how you do it and and how people around it and a softening um, to other people's experiences. People are fascinating. I think there was two, two kind of personas that fascinated me. One was kind of the fatalistic view Um, which was, yep, this was happening. We've seen it preparing, you know, there's been warnings for years. I'm investigating building a bunker in my backyard and being completely self-sustainable, which I think honestly, those people fared pretty well. Um, They took it seriously from day one and managed their emotions throughout the whole thing. The people on the other side, I think that had it the hardest were those that every change or restriction completely caught them off guard. They had their whole bent of how they were going to get through this based on this release of restrictions and this return to normal and it always made me chuckle. I remember I had a couple conversations oh football season's canceled well I was operating based on the fact that yeah football season's going to be canceled and if it's there it's there but having stuff taken away and just how people psychologically walked through this to me was one of those areas where i think we'll be studying that for a while how did you process this how did you make it through what was your mental framework as you walked through it It is something that we talk we'll talk about the other thing that i i don't know if we're asking about is just kind of the the goal with work and life and family and school. I feel like we're having a lot of conversations and there's this quest out there to have some sort of rubric or method to get to comfort. It's like, well, if I do this and my job does this and my kids have this, and then somehow we're going to make it so that this fall doesn't just royally be uncomfortable. And I don't think I don't think that exists. But people are not grappling fully with what is at the root cause of this. You know, for me personally, my son was gonna enter kindergarten and he was so excited for it. He's a social kid. He's, you know, the kid that high fives and makes friends with everybody and just loves all human beings. And that's taken away. And so he's disappointed, but then I also have to recognize that I had an excitement built up around him doing that. And I had trips planned that had to be canceled. So not only is these external things that are happening, but how we saw this fall happening or the summer happening, we had to give up and we had to grieve and we had to adjust. And that's showing up in how people are talking about their jobs, how people are talking about their lives. We're not being real that we had hopes and dreams that were lost. And that's where our emotions are coming from. Um, We're saying it's because, well, I have to go to work or my kid has this school and we're trying. We're disappointed. We're upset, we're grieving, and we're not talking about that.
0: Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week, and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it, because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.